Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. You see, low self-esteem is much less likely to be the thing that's going to respond to fear in a constructive way. High self-esteem will play with fear, dance with fear and sit with fear and do something special with that fear. So are you ready, dear listener, to feel fear and start recording and sharing your music anyway? Are you ready to grow new skills make mistakes and go on that journey to becoming more independent as a woman in music. Because this will give you options, the agency to go ahead and get shit done yourself, the ability to say, no, thank you when you need to, like I did with that guy that told me I was like a piece of meat. The ability to even say, fuck off when you need to. This is a great fearless feeling. Although we like a little bit of fear, remember? Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in Sonic Arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello there. January is nearly over and therefore we're a whole month into 2021. How the hell did that happen? I can confirm I have thoroughly immersed myself in a cottagecore lifestyle during lockdown three. I am literally sitting here recording this podcast episode huddled in a blanket up in my bedroom. If you're unfamiliar with the term cottagecore, it's what all the cool kids are doing right now. Apparently it's, you know, needlework, fermenting, all that kind of cool stuff, bitches. But before we get stuck into this week's episode, I just want to make sure that you hear about a really special free live workshop that I'm running called Three Key Secrets to Making Pro Recordings of Your Music from Home. Now, I am really excited about this workshop because it is some of my biggest, biggest tips that make the biggest impact 
and it's a whole hour long so I go into quite a lot of detail with them and you will walk away having so much more knowledge about making properly professional home recordings. Now the workshop's taking place in the beginning of February and registration is free and open as this episode goes live right now. I'm dropping some major knowledge bombs. This workshop is only for female identifying musicians and so if that applies to you and you're sick of relying on other people to get your music out there and want more autonomy with the creativity to boot then check out the workshop on femalediymusician.com forward slash workshop to grab your spot now. Now today's episode is a tiny tiny eeny bit raw and a bit bare. Now inside I'm sharing some kind of personal experiences and some of them are actually quite hard to talk about. I'm not going to go into too many details and certainly certainly not going to name any names but I'm just being really honest about how these experiences have affected me and the lessons that I've learned from them. This is very much an imperfect look at how my self-esteem has shaped feelings around fear in music and including music technology, but also how they've galvanised my conviction to record and release my music too. I want to share this here on the podcast because I know that this is a very universal experience amongst many female identifying musicians, possibly you if you're listening now. But let's first just define exactly what we're talking about when it comes to this tricky little emotion, fear. So what is fear? Well, I probably don't really have to tell you that, (laughs) to be fair. I think everyone's got a handle on what fear is, especially right now. Jesus Christ. So I'm obviously not going to Isabel-splain fear to you. But what I do want to just unpack is maybe not quite the obvious side to fear, which is that it's easy to believe that fear is all bad, And a lot of the time when we type in fear to Google or we go to our public library, any books or resources on fear, something like overcome your fears in 12 easy steps and, you know, how to become fearless in three days. And we're very much about trying to get away from fear. And that's understandable. Fear usually is not a very nice experience. But number one, it's really not that easy. You know, it's really, really not that easy to overcome fear in 12 easy steps or three days or whatever it is that the tagline, you know, is that we're given in these adverts and marketing. But also, I just want to ask, you know, do we really not want to fear anything at all? And I would say no, we do. In fact, most of the biggest bouts of activity and action in my life have in some way stemmed from fear. And if you're not feeling even a little tiny bit of fear, then that's a little bit worrying when it comes to something that you're passionate about. And the best example of this is actually before you're going to go on stage. Now, loads of people are familiar with the idea that if you're about to go on stage as a performer, as a musician, and you're not even getting a tiny little flutter of butterflies in your stomach there's probably something a bit wrong there. It's probably that you've got a little bit too comfortable. Maybe you don't care about the performance as much as you would have done before. Maybe you're not very happy as a performer. Lots of reasons why actually you might in fact be a little bit disappointed. 
that you're not feeling even just a, a, a little, little bit of fear. So I think really the, the kind of thing that I want to start off here in this conversation is just to make the point, nerves show you care. Now, I'm not talking about really, really extreme or ongoing fear and anxiety and panic here. You know the kind of nerves that I'm talking about, the nerves of just not quite knowing if something's going to go smoothly, if something's going to go to plan, if you'll be able to pull it off. Those nerves show you care and those nerves galvanise you into action and those nerves help you to take those important risks. So that's important to just identify before we go any further. And it's also important to think about fear as a massive spectrum. So we have those low level niggling fears that something's not quite right all the way to a full blown heart palpitations in the supermarket panic attack. So it's more of a question of fearing the right things and the right quantities. I think obviously if you're going into a panic attack every time you step into the supermarket because the supermarket feels like a scary place, that's probably going to be very disruptive to your life and I would hope that you would get help for that. If it's more a low-level little kind of butterflies when you think about something that's exciting but also unknown and uncertain, that's probably a really good sign that you need to follow that thing because that tiny bit of fear shows that you care. And when it comes to recording and sharing our music, we should be scared. We should be scared about certain things to do with um, you know, sharing our work and being vulnerable and learning something new. And when I say scared, again, not full blown kind of panic attack, going into a, a full on meltdown or just even a kind of low level anxiety that comes with all the horrible kind of inner music tech gremlins, which we are going to get into next week, by the way. But what I'm talking about is you are doing something that is potentially quite out of the ordinary in recording and sharing music. So it's natural to be a little bit scared. And we should fear looking back and regretting not satisfying our soul. And we should fear not ever fully expressing our voice and our gifts. That's something that we should be scared of, because that would be such a great shame. And I know that people listening to this podcast will have grappled with this. Any artist has grappled with this. I have grappled with this. I've had sleepless nights, um, certainly years ago, when I felt like I was not fully exploring my creativity and what it was to be Isabel, let's say, or even just a human in the world. So this isn't necessarily fear of not succeeding or, you know, fear of not having that outward praise. It's really about feeling like we've explored this messy, crazy thing we call being a human. And it's totally legitimate to be scared that you're not you're not following that. And you definitely all of us need to. So what's the connection between fear, self-esteem and music technology? And if you're listening to this podcast right now, you might be pretty scared of sticking your neck out and learning more about recording and producing your music or just using technology with music in general. I fully expect there will be quite a few people who feel like that. And, you know, so I, I think about this a lot because I think about you, dear listener, listening to this podcast. And I've been thinking how, you know, women often find their self-esteem as vulnerable due to the culture of the industry. And what I mean by that is that 
it's not a given that we will have strong self-esteem in the industry. And I don't mean to, to take the wind out of anybody's wings or for your confidence to be affected if you're listening to this podcast. It's just, I definitely do think that women have to kind of fight a little bit hard at the moment to keep their self-esteem a bit more rock solid. Um, there's a constant need to validate and prove your worth that can take its toll as a, a female in the industry. Um, and I think that this can then mean that there's a lot of fear that comes with that. Will I be taken seriously? Will somebody actually give me a shot? If I'm the only woman in the room, will I have the same opportunities as somebody else? Um, if I'm the only woman in the room, will I be listened to? Will my voice be heard? Those are kind of low level fears and anxieties that can really take their toll on on women for sure. And I have experienced that myself. And then there's the experiences that are much more direct than that even. And I'm going to share one of them that from my background with you now, these experiences are where you are overtly confronted with sexism. Um, and that can then chip away at your self-esteem and then further kind of add to this sense of fear and anxiety around a music career. So this story is um, with going back to Isabel at, oh God, how old was I? Probably about 28. So let's say about eight years ago, I was unwell. I've been quite open on the podcast about living with chronic pain for a long time and tinnitus as well. And I was up, um, living at my parents' house at the time and they live about an hour and a half away from London. So I was sometimes going up to London to do a few gigs here and there when I was well enough. And um, and so I had seen a, just an advert on Facebook of a London promotion company looking for musicians and I replied to it and they were looking for musicians to do gigs in London. So I wrote to them and said, I'm looking for gigs and then I got an email back saying, wonderful, we'd listen to your music. It's really cool. Would you like to come in and have a chat in the office? So I did. And so I um, I think I was in London anyway for a hospital appointment. I tied this in with that. So I went to Camden where their office was. It was in the basement of a house in Camden, which probably cost them about, I don't know, three grand a month or something ridiculous because it's London. Um, and I was greeted by this guy. And he was your typical kind of music industry A&R guy, what you'd expect. Very smooth, very well put together, very confident, offered me a coffee. We sat down. I thought that I was going in to talk about playing gigs. And then he launches into talking about us signing a record contract. And I was very confused at first. I was like, this has never been mentioned in emails, ever. You know, like, I didn't necessarily agree to this. And um, there was this presumption from him that I would be signing a contract with them. And he was talking about, you know, obviously we'll put you into a studio with a producer. Um, I think it'd be really good for you to pair up with someone and you can collaborate with him. And uh, And then he looked me up and down. And he literally looked me up and down, by the way. And said, of course, you know, we won't be able to market you on your looks. Um, so we will have to just be marketing you on your music. And then said, but I think you've got so much potential. You know, I think your music's really good. And I just see you like a piece of meat 
that just hasn't been cooked yet. And I could not believe my ears and at the same time could totally believe this was happening. It was like the nightmare scenario that you are told about. It's like the myth that it was happening to me. And I kind of felt like I was in a bad dream where I'd gone to this meeting, you know, those ridiculous dreams where you turn up to some event and it's actually the wrong event and not the event you thought it was going to. So for me, it was like the wrong conversation. I never thought we were going to talk about a record contract. I didn't even know they offered record contracts. I thought they just did gig promotion. And yet I'm here having a conversation about it. And then I'm being told that I'm not attractive enough to market for my looks. And then I'm being told that I'll just get stuck in a room with a producer, regardless of anything to do with me. They had no idea about who I was, anything. And then I'm told that I'm like a piece of meat. I mean, literally, I could not get my head around the lack of awareness around misogyny and sexism there. And just the stereotypes that were being ticked uh, by the second. And I said, well... um, thank you for your interest, but I'm not wanting to sign a record contract, actually. And I'm in the middle of a PhD in Sonic Arts. I'm about to go back to Belfast to finish my PhD off, in fact. And then he looked at me very confused. I mean, so confused. And he just said, well, why would you want to do that? And it was in that moment that it just totally confirmed to me that we were in different realities, (laughs) let alone on cross purposes here. So that was a very, very interesting experience. And I left feeling like I couldn't get away from the basement office quick enough and back on the tube. And, you know, inevitably that played into the already low self-esteem I had as a woman around my looks, um, as a woman approaching her 30s as well. As a woman, um, you know, stepping into the world of electronic music and sound and production, there were just so many layers of this is your role. You've disappointed us because of this, this and this. And you're not supposed to be doing this role. That's basically the conversation. You know, this is your role. You, you make good music and you will go in the studio like a nice girl with a producer and you will be excited about this opportunity that I'm giving you. Um you have disappointed us because you're not pretty, but we can still work with it and we can still cook you up like a steak. And you are absolutely not supposed to be dabbling with electronic music, experimental music, sound. That's not what you're supposed to do. Just, you know, sing nicely and write some good songs and and play the role of the woman in this. So that, that was that was a frustrating, disappointing conversation to have and it definitely played into some of the existing narratives going on in my head um, that were bound up in low self-esteem. And there's been other, you know, other examples where they haven't even been around me. They've been things that I've observed happening or being said about other people that then influence how confident you feel in the industry, how um, how much agency you feel as a woman in music and a woman in electronic music. So another example is where I was at a festival. It was a music industry conference and there was a, a man who was the head of a very well-known publishing company in London And he had been asked to talk about um, getting into publishing for musicians. And it was particularly marketed at, you know, young musicians. And there were a few young women in the room. 
And there was a bunch of older men who kept sniggering and giggling at everything that this guy said. And after about five or ten minutes, it became obvious they all knew each other and they'd been out drinking the night before. And so even this guy, when he was on the stage, kept joking about how drunk he'd got the night before and they kept sniggering and giggling. And it was like we were at school or something. And I was just sat there and, you know, I was like, definitely, I don't know, 30, 31, too old to not have seen this before as well. So I I knew what was going on. And um, but what I was not expecting was that this guy starts talking about the amazing songwriting camps that they run as a production, as a publishing company. And that there had been um, some wonderful collaborations that had taken place in these summer camps. To be clear, um, if you haven't come across this concept before, it's where record companies or publishing companies will send off um, artists who they're hopeful will be successful, but they're kind of um, places for them to develop their songwriting abilities and their production and form collaborations with other songwriters and other producers and artists even who might sing their songs. Um, And so they can be a really exciting thing to get involved in, depending on what kind of career you want. But he was talking about a young woman, you know, kind of 18, who had been sent to one of these summer camps, um, a songwriting camp, and she had met a producer, a male producer. And they'd got on very well in the day and they'd all gone for dinner. And then they decided to record one of her, one of the songs that she'd written and this guy would produce it. And so they went to his studio that evening and they spent all night doing that. And then the, the head of this pub, publishing company joked, and I'm not going to speculate on what happened between the vocalist and the producer in the studio. And of course, these guys sniggered, a couple of other people sniggered and... I was just looking around the room and looking at these, you know, there were girls there that were like 16, 17, 18 and thinking, this is what makes women feel scared about joining the industry. This is what makes women scared that if they want to be taken seriously, they're going to have to sleep with somebody. Or if they want to just go and collaborate with someone, there may be sex on the table in order for them to do it. And I just thought it was so disrespectful. He has no idea whether those two people had sex, but you can definitely guarantee that if it was a a male singer-songwriter going into a studio with a woman producer, I don't think that joke would have been made. And it's just this really tired old trope that perpetuates misogyny and sexual harassment and fear in women as well, but also the acceptance that it's normal and it's okay. Um... And and that, so that's an example of something where it's a conversation that was not about me and not directed to me. But you can see how these conversations just chip away at self-esteem for a lot of women. And even just hearing them perpetuates these really, really destructive, negative narratives that fuel this fear and this anxiety um, quite rightly, you know, a lot of the time, but also fuel this just acceptance of misogyny as well in the industry. So other times I've experienced sexist, rude and disrespectful comments who have come from people I know. And I'm not going to talk about this because these are these are conversations that have happened and they're more, um, you know, I feel like they're more in my personal life. Um, they are still with people who are colleagues of mine, musician friends, um, academic friends and colleagues. But a lot of the time, um, sometimes those people have been in positions of authority 
and maybe have presumed that my success is some way linked to my appearance or feminine charms. I'm very much putting that in quotations because I don't really feel like that's the right word for it, but you know what I mean. Um, it's also sometimes been students that I teach um, being so surprised that I produce, even though I'm teaching them music production. Um, it's sometimes been friends and colleagues very much overstepping physical boundaries. Um, and, you know, these are the ones that feel the most difficult to discuss, the ones with people I know and who should know better because they know me better than that. Um, these are also the ones that have the most have most significantly shaken my self-esteem because I I thought that people would think better than that and would not go to run to those conclusions or say such hurtful things. And these are the experiences that have made me question my abilities the most and second guess my intelligence and my entitlement to opportunities and even my self-respect. They have made me fear I have done something wrong, that I'm not good enough and that I'll never be good enough. Or should I say they've been opportunities I have taken up readily to doubt myself and blame myself for basically other people's bad behaviour. It's made me doubt my abilities, especially in more male areas like music technology. And it's made me feel fear and doubt daily when pursuing my creativity, both academically and artistically. That is not an exaggeration, by the way. And I know that most people listening to this podcast will totally get this. But when you have these experiences and they build up and they build up and they're like notches on the bedpost, you do start to have to be aware of this all the time. But you also feel that doubt and that fear that you'll be taken seriously or that you're worth respect or that your creativity will actually go somewhere because of these experiences. But I also really want to flag how these experiences and the fear that I felt have actually strengthened my conviction too. That's not the whole story. Because these experiences, especially the ones with strangers, because I was saying how, you know, the ones with colleagues and friends have been the most hurtful, but the ones with strangers have actually really stoked a fire in me. They have made it feel even more important that I do carve out some agency and autonomy in my career. When I've had those conversations like you're a piece of meat and we'll just stick you in a studio with a producer... I have deeply feared not having that agency on autonomy. And that has made me question what would happen if I did, in fact, take up space as a woman in music? What would happen if I did, in fact, learn imperfectly and make mistakes with music technology? What would happen if I did something that I wasn't expected to do? And what would happen... If it felt scary and I felt fear and I fucking did it anyway. <laughs> so I've become so much more comfortable admitting that I don't understand something through being in very scary music tech situations. I now feel totally OK with saying I don't know what to do with that or what is that? And that really started coming mostly when I started my MA in Sonic Arts at the Sonic Arts Research Centre. And I got I was going back into uni after being working full time for a long time and gigging and all those things. 
And so I was kind of going back into this very academic situation, but it was on another level doing an MA. And there was so much stuff I didn't understand. Like, for example, when I started my MA, I was sat in front of a computer on my first day there, totally blank screen, and was given a page with an algebra formula and told, make a reverb algorithm using this algebra formula. And that was pretty much it. And so I had to take that piece of paper up to the tutor and say, I don't know what this is. And then after he explained it's an algebra formula for a reverb algorithm, I had to say, and what is an algorithm? <laughs> and after he said that, I had to say, and why is the computer a blank screen? Honestly, like the whole MA, the whole first semester was just constantly, I don't know what that is. And what is that? And how do I do that? And what does that mean? I had to get so comfortable asking questions, which felt horrible at first. And believe me, I was absolutely shit scared at the beginning of that MA because I felt like such an idiot when it came to music technology, maths, physics, all those things that I was suddenly having to get my head around. But it was actually really liberating in the end. That fear pushed me forward and I got over the I got over that first hump. And like I said in, in my one of the first podcast episodes I ever did, I ended up getting a distinction in my MA and one of the most coveted PhD scholarships that the school offers. So it just goes to show that sometimes that fear is really worth staring head on and embracing actually and, and being able to sit with it. And this actually built my confidence because there's something really empowering about saying I'm not perfect, but I'm actually fine because none of us are perfect. I am not perfect, but I'm totally fine. It's okay if I don't know everything. It doesn't mean that I know nothing. And it's okay if I've never done something before, like tried out a new plugin or used a particular type of software or invested in a certain type of mic. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It does not mean that I'm a shit human. It just means there are certain things I do not know yet. Thank God, because life is so much more interesting when that's the case. But I'm not perfect and I'm flawed and I will make mistakes, but I'm actually fine. And there's something so empowering about saying that. So there's this realisation that I always now come back to as this is the most important change I've seen in me since being in my 30s as a woman. So I have now definitely accepted that I will not be perfect. I am not perfect. And this is coming from someone who in certain ways is very much a perfectionist, in other ways, very much not a perfectionist. Um, but also, I, you know, I'm a people pleaser, I would say. I am quite have been quite adverse to conflict, all those things. So I've now really started to accept that I will not be perfect. I'm not perfect. That's okay. Some people also will not like me, which is also okay. Some people will not treat me with respect. And I've given you some very good examples of that today. And also, I don't need to fix that. That's not my problem. That's a really important one. So like, you know, the things I've just said are important, but that's a really important one. So please take notes here if you're listening. I don't need to fix that. And I can fear that and be okay as well. You know, I can fear that someone's not going to treat you with respect, or I can fear that something's going to happen that exposes me as being imperfect. 
but also be okay. And I can fear that my work isn't good enough or my new project will just flop or that it'll take me far too long to work out how to use a new piece of software and do it anyway. Still go for it anyway. I didn't always know what I was doing when I started recording and releasing my music. I still don't know everything and I don't always get it right, but that's okay. And it's okay to still fear looking like a failure because it's natural. It's like stage fright. I know when I've got those little butterflies and I feel a bit uncomfortable that I'm growing. The fear of not truly exploring my creativity as a human was much more scary than the fear of actually putting myself out there. So I definitely think fear helped me take action. Fear helped me record my music myself and release it myself. It wasn't courage that did that, but a deep, deep connection to that fear. But like I said before, it's a spectrum. We must check in with where we're at on that spectrum. Is it butterflies in your stomach or a full-blown panic attack? Another choice we can make is about the agency we have. So if we feel able to take meaningful, tangible actions towards the goals and dreams that we really care about, that is true empowerment as a woman in music, in my humble opinion. We can make long-term plans that relate to who we are and what we need as individuals, not a stereotype. I really can't think of any skill set in this day and age that does this better than learning to record yourself, even just in basic terms. Starting that journey and learning these skills will give you so much more creative self-esteem as a woman in the industry. They will not take away your fear. Remember, a little bit of fear is actually a good thing, but recording and production skills will give you more choices and perspective on your music and your worth. You see, low self-esteem is much less likely to be the thing that's going to respond to fear in a constructive way. High self-esteem will play with fear, dance with fear and sit with fear and do something special with that fear. So, are you ready, dear listener, to feel fear and start recording and sharing your music anyway? Are you ready to grow new skills, make mistakes and go on that journey to becoming more independent as a woman in music? Because this will give you options, the agency to go ahead and get shit done yourself, the ability to say, no thank you, when you need to, like I did with that guy that told me I was like a piece of meat. The ability to even say, fuck off, when you need to. This is a great fearless feeling. Although we like a little bit of fear, remember? So if this episode feels really relevant to where you're at with your music right now and you'd love to deepen your own recording and production skills, I highly, highly recommend you join me in my free live workshop, Three Secrets to Making Pro Recordings of Your Music from Home. These really are my very, very best tips. The link is in the show notes. Just go to www.femalediymusician.com forward slash workshop. Now, in next week's episode, I have not one, not two, but three special guests coming on the podcast. 
I'll be joined by three women who all struggled with what I call their music tech gremlins. But all three have managed to start making recordings that they love. In fact, all three have started to make recordings that have wildly surprised them and other people. So if you're struggling with those niggling little voices that tell you you're not good enough, you're too old, you're not clever enough, you'll never get the hang of it or technology's boring, you do not want to miss this episode. But that's it from me this time. Take care for now. So how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on. Spread the girls twiddling knobs love.